Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Zach Van Norman with Once Upon a Fan bringing you our weekly podcast. And of course, I'm joined by my regular host, Amy Hood. Hello, Amy, darling. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. It's a gorgeous sunny day in Seattle. Um, very excited about today's podcast. We have a lot going on this evening, so I'm very, very excited to uh, to get into it. So go ahead and get started. Oh, just want to issue my normal warning for everybody who listens to the podcast, or maybe if you're new to the show. Sometimes if you try to log into the chat room, it takes a second before it will actually show up. You might have to refresh the page a couple of times, but it does show up eventually um, so just give it a second, and you'll be able to log in. We would love for you to join us on the podcast in the chat room. Um, also, if you want to call in, the number is 347-677-1653. And we'd love to hear what you guys' opinions are and what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, today is a very special podcast. We're going to be talking to uh, one of the consulting producers and writers on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. He's also uh, done some work on some other shows. And we're going to be talking to him tonight later on in the show. Um, asking him about, you know, lost storylines they weren't able to get to, um, you know, the storylines that did happen, uh, you know, things we could have seen but didn't get to, all kinds of things. So uh, very excited to get to talk with him tonight. And Amy, uh, I don't, let's see, his name is Richard Hottam, right? Am I saying it right? Hottam, yes. Please tell me. Hottam, okay, I'm good. Sweet. So, yeah, um, we're going to be talking to him later on, and I'm very excited to, to get to speak with him. Amy, how about you? counting the days until today's podcast. And I think, honestly, we could all use some good news because this has been a rough week for Oncers. I mean, I think we could all agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy week for Once Upon a Time fans this week, indeed. Um, so let's see. Next on our news, oh, well, we do have some more Wonderland-related news, actually, which is that, well, actually, well, before we get to that, I guess we only have to, okay, so we've got the finale of Wonderland coming up on Thursday, which is the day after tomorrow, and uh, it's going to be pretty exciting because the situation is perilous right now um, as far as, like, super powerful and um, a character died, so, you know, spoiler alert, um, you know, normal five seconds, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, the Red Queen, Anastasia, she died. Very sad. Very, very sad, actually. A really gripping scene. Um, so that was, you know, kind of rough. And we're going to see, you know, how that all gets wrapped up on Thursday in the finale. Um, sadly, with that, it is our unfortunate duty to tell everybody, of course, if they don't know already, that Once Upon a Time in Wonderland has been canceled after one season. Um, which, you know, Frank, I, I'm not very happy about it. I'm a fan of the show. I liked it a lot. I wanted to see where it was going to go. I would have liked to have seen more of it. Um, Amy, how do you feel about the, uh, the cancellation of Wonderland? I am quite, quite bitter about that, and I know we're going to get into it later, but you and I have been, since the beginning, talking about our issues with the scheduling and how, you know, the promotion... It's just, uh, I'm, I'm so, so bitter. <laughs> this is, I'm just bitter all around this week. <laughs> I really, really would like to have words with a few people at ABC right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. Um, 
lots of reasons why. I mean, obviously the number one reason is because the ratings were, were not as good as they should have been. Uh, just People just were watching the show. Um, there's all kinds of uh, opinions about that. And, yeah, Amy, we'll just save that and get into that a little bit later um, in our conversation. Anyways, um, also hello to everybody who's joining us in the chat room. You see you in there, of course. I want to acknowledge everybody in the chat room. Hello. Um, on the next bit of news, uh, there is a silver lining to the fact that Wonderland was canceled in that Michael Saka, who was announced today, is going to be joining um, Once Upon a Time. Well, it's rumored that he's going to be joining Once Upon a Time as a series regular um, beginning in Season 4. So if that's a rumor that proves to be true, that is uh, pretty exciting news. Definitely. I hope it is true that we are getting the name as a regular character on Once Upon a Time next season. Um, I'm also hoping that the announcement, though, doesn't mean that Anastasia is not going to be saved. You all know how I feel about the Red Queen. I love Dave Rigby, as she goes by on Twitter. Love Emma Rigby. Love the Red Queen, Anastasia's character. And I'm hoping that the announcement of him is not kind of a hint that she might not make it out of the series next week alive. So I'm kind of, I would love to see both of them on Once Upon a Time if we can't have Wonderland go continue forward. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. I think he's a great character. He's a great actor. He's a really nice guy. Um, when I met him at Comic-Con last year, he was pretty cool. So um, really excited that he is going to be on the show um, well, hopefully, and it's still only a rumor. I want to make sure that we that we make that clear that it's still a rumor. There's nothing confirmed yet. Um, it's not even confirmed. And it is April Fool's Day, so we're trying to uh, keep, you know, take everything today with a grain of salt. Yeah. Hopefully. Now, having said that, though, the author of that article, in it, because it, it came out in Entertainment Weekly, um, the author of that article said on his private Twitter that this is not an April Fool's joke. So um, take that as you will. I'm taking it for what it is, it's the truth, um, because I don't – and the reason why also I think that there is truth to it is because even if it's only a rumor, why I think at least that the rumor is true, <laughs> it's weird to say, but um, I think it's true because they said specifically that Once Upon a Time is still not even confirmed to have a fourth season yet. So that's why they can't confirm whether or not he's going to join the show because the show isn't even confirmed to be coming back. Obviously, it's very likely that it will, very, very likely. Um, I don't want to, you know, make anybody panic over that, but it's uh, it's just not official yet, so they can't officially say who's on the cast or not if they haven't even officially said that people are going to be on the show. So, you know, right. hopefully and the I don't, think ABC, I, I don't think ABC even announces, um, I think it's like usually around May when we get a definite confirmation, but I know that we don't have any doubts that there's going to be another season. Yeah, no doubt in my mind either. Um, I think this show is probably going to go for six seasons, actually, would be my guess, um, just for just for a couple of reasons. But, yeah, ultimately, I think that it's going to go for, for six seasons. I think it at least has the potential to go for six seasons, whether it does or not. So, um, so there's that. Um, and then also we just want to make sure that everybody knows and you know, we're going to, you know, we're very excited about it because now it's only next month. We're only, you know, weeks away now from the season finale of Once Upon a Time, which is Sunday, May 11th, and it's going to be for two hours. Um, we get episodes 21 and 22 back-to-back. Episode 21 is called Snow Drifts, and then the season finale itself is called There's No Place Like Home. 
So it's obviously an Oz reference there, and it could mean a number of things. Uh, home is a, you know, it's the same that means different things to a bunch of different characters, um, you know, both literally and, you know, emotionally in some cases. So, um, you know, there's a lot that that could mean, and there's a lot of places the story could go and what it means for season four and, you know, that's, that's which I think is kind of exciting, actually, that now we get to kind of think ahead and wonder where exactly um, season four is going to go, where the show is going to go, you know, what kind of characters we're going to be seeing next, because, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, characters now, like with Rapunzel showing up and so forth. So there's a lot of potential for things to happen. So um, pretty exciting. Amy, what do you think about, uh, you know, the season coming to an end and the season being two hours or the season finale being two hours, rather? Side is that it's two hours because I really like the idea. When we did the rewatch on the podcast, you know, we put often two episodes that seem to go together really well together. So I'm really excited about the back-to-back episodes that night. I can't believe, though, that we're already talking about the end of the season. I feel like we just started back up after the hiatus. It's like it's just going so fast that it seems like, you know, we were all waiting through the hiatus trying to chug along and get to March so it would be back. And now we're already talking about next month being, you know, the season finale. It's crazy. Yeah. Um Oh, I love the two. Yeah, well, Lori is saying in the chat room she loves the two-hour season finale idea. Amazing to have it all connected like that. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, two hours of once in one night, and it's going to be new episodes. It's not like it's going to be a rerun and then a new episode. It's going to be just yeah, like when the because here's the thing, right? Whenever the first hour, like whenever an episode of Once Upon a Time is over, I always think to myself, why is this show only one hour? And now, like, when the first hour is over and I say to myself, why isn't this show two hours? Well, tonight it's going to be. So I'm really, (laughs) you know, that night at least. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Um, (laughs) I really can't wait for that. I mean, it's going to be fun for that, but what I'm not going to like is the time after, like, in the summertime (laughs) when we have no new Once Upon a Time episodes. I'm not going to be happy about that part of it. Um, right. At, at all. We'll be counting the days again. <laughs> exactly, because I remember, like, I remember last year was, you know, I mean, last year was crazy because, you know, I mean, you know, Comic-Con happened, so it was, I mean, it, it was once upon a time all summer. I mean, at least for me, it was nonstop. And I know a lot of other people, you know, were still watching the show, and there's a lot of people DVR it, and then, you know, the, well, I mean, I know I DVR it, and then if there's not a new episode on I just go watch one of those. Um, or even if I, if there's nothing to watch on TV, sometimes I'll just watch an episode of once because, you know, I want to watch something good. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Rose is saying in the chat room, it's the worst part about summer. I, I agree. Um, at, at, see, what I do like is the fact that the hiatus, what it kind of did was, you know, kind of brace us for the, you know, the break that's going to come again. Cause Amy, like you said, we can go do another episode rewatch here on the podcast and watch a bunch of stuff and, you know, talk about all the episodes and, you know, episodes we haven't watched yet or or at least talked about yet. So it's going to be a really fun summer, I think. We've got a lot of fun stuff that's going to be going on. So it's, you know, looking ahead, it's crazy. And, yeah, Angie's saying we only have seven episodes left. God, that just sounds like that's just not enough. Like, there's no way there's only seven episodes. Like, it just started, but, you know, it didn't because 
Neverland figures into the season two. Oh, these mini seasons, I tell you, they get to me. Okay, so let's talk about the episode because I am really ready to dig into this one. Um, okay. Exactly. Are you ready for this conversation? Okay, here we go. Everybody in the chat room, you ready? All right, we're bound down the hatches. Here we go. <laughs> normally what we do on the podcast, um, and for regular listeners or for any new listeners, normally what we do on the podcast is we go through the episodes um, as they unfold. So, you know, as we're seeing things, that's kind of what we go through on the podcast, and so we talk about things that we notice here and there. However, this week we need to take um, a little bit of a different route because events occurred on this week's Once Upon a Time that need to be addressed directly and i don't want to i don't want to wait to get to it because i know that as soon as we start talking about neil it's going to come up so we just need to get it out of the way on this week's episode of once upon a time and if you're listening to this podcast hopefully you watched it but just in case five four three two one there's your spoiler alert neil died supposedly (laughs) yeah supposedly um I, I, it is, um, uh, yeah, Angie is saying in the chat room, it's events that seem to have really divided the chat room, the, uh, the fandom, rather, and uh, I agree with that. Um, but anyways, before we get to that reaction, let's talk about our individual reactions first. Okay, so. When that happened, I was kind of speechless. I wasn't, like, crying upset or anything. I was just kind of quiet. Um, I honestly wasn't quite sure what to think. And I know what I think now, and I'm not happy. Um, I know that's going to be a huge shock for anybody who listens to the podcast regularly or who knows me and knows what a huge swan fire person I am and what a big fan of, of Emma and, and Neil that I am. Um, I'm just, yeah, I just, and here, okay, here's why I'm not happy. I'm not happy because I feel like Neil had a lot of story potential. I feel that his character had a lot more places that he could go, that he had a lot more roles that he could play, that there was a lot of depth and weight and development lacking from his character. Now, when I say that, I think they did a great job of developing Balefire because his storyline is very, very clear. I do mm-hmm. not think they did a very good job of developing Neil Cassidy. That's my issue. I don't feel that the story arc that they completed for Neil does justice to, number one, the character that they built for Bay as a child. And number two, I feel that it does a disservice to Rumpelstiltskin and the curse and really the show because the entire point of the Dark Curse was so that Rumpel could find his son. And for... Everything that happened for the curse, and then they found each other, and then the new curse, and Neverland, and just all of the things, for for it to end that way is not satisfying. And I don't think that it, and I feel that it really takes away from Rumpel and his whole struggle and his character and everything that he has done. That's just how I feel. That's my personal opinion. If you agree with me, awesome. If you don't, I totally would love to hear your opinion. Seriously, let's talk about it. Because, like, I never get to talk to one about this stuff. Because I'm always, like, busy doing stuff. So, like, let's talk about it. Um, but anyways, um, so in the chat room, let, you know, I see everybody 
talking about that too. Um, Angie said that she wishes that they had let him live, but she understands why they did it. They needed to raise the stakes. And the way that it happened was better than she thought that it would be. Yeah, that's true. Um, it didn't happen in a necessarily, well, no, I'm just, no, it, I'm not happy with it at all. I just feel, I'm sorry, I'm just not, I, I don't like what they did at all. I just feel like it was wasted his character. Now, having said that, despite what everybody said, I mean, even them on Twitter, like, the, like I know that it might sound ridiculous and maybe I'm crazy, but I will only accept that Neil is really and truly dead when we get to the season finale that I was talking about earlier, and it ends, and we get to the end credits, and Neil is still dead. Correct. Then I will accept it. Yeah. That's that's when I'll agree <laughs> that it's real, um, because there's just a couple of things that I think happened in the storyline that may like that. This may just be a big joke, um, or not joke, but like, I mean, kind of a joke, but like. I don't know. I don't know what I think Amy, you got to take it because I'm just, I can't, well, if you can't, because I know we feel similarly about this. Yes. Okay. When I watched the episode, my first thought, I actually was not super, super upset until the end because I thought for sure there was going to be a twist and that, you know, everybody, I'd say 90% of the fandom have been saying, oh, it's Neil that's going to die since you know, it was announced that there was a major death. So we got to the end of the episode, and that was the character that was supposedly dead. I was like, what? I was actually mad. I was literally angry. And I was, I, I actually surprised myself with how mad I was that, not that, you know, just that it was Neil, but that it had turned out to be exactly what so many people thought it was. But having said that, I'm definitely with Zach. I'm calling BS right now because, and I mentioned this to Zach, we were having a private conversation earlier. I could notice that, one, Michael Raymond James, Neil's hand was marked in a similar way to the way that the people who were taken and, you know, that they thought were dead by the race, and yet they can come back and, uh, Adam and Eddie have both said that this season we're actually going to see and find out how that's possible, that the race can, quote, unquote, kill people, and yet they can come back. So I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like it, I, not just because I kind of like the idea of Wanfire together, you know, that whole little family with Henry, but I, I don't know. I just don't like that the way that it played out. I 100% agree with that, that the whole point of the first, you know, two seasons really was for Rumpel to be searching for his son. And he's the one that created this whole curse and put everything into action just to be with him. So I, I don't know. I just don't. I understand a lot of people are saying, you know, it completed the story arc and it came around. And I did think that the scene with Neil's death was really beautifully done between Robert Carlyle, Jennifer Morrison, and Michael Raymond James. Also, the only other thing I'm going to notice is that until Michael Raymond James broke, quote-unquote, Twitter silence or radio silence yesterday to talk about 
the fact that, you know, none of these rumors were true about him wanting to leave the show and all that, that normally when an actor leaves, there's all these congratulatory tweets and a lot of comments from other cast members saying, oh, we loved working with you. Thank you. It was so great. We're going to miss you. None of that has come out. So I am calling BS, 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 BS. Neil is not dead. We're going to get a death, and it's not going to be him. Somehow he's going to come back. That's my opinion. <laughs> my long-winded <laughs> opinion. No, uh, it's fine. I mean, it, I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, I can't believe this happened. Anyways, like, you just don't expect it. I mean, I know that there was a lot of people who, you know, said that, oh, there's, you know, there were spoilers and everything was pointing to it and everything, but, uh, I don't know. No, no. Anyway. Like you said, when we're at the end of the season and no one else has died and Neil is still dead, then I will be willing to relent that I am wrong. However, for right now, I am sticking to it. I don't think he's the major death this season. And maybe I'm totally in denial because, I didn't think Graham was dead either, and so, you know, there's that from season one. But I, I just don't think that he is – I just don't think he's dead. And I know I I Angie, that... I see, is disagreeing. <laughs> she's, she's sure he's dead, so. I'm, yeah, I'm telling you, there's, like, there's always hope. That's the thing on this show. But there's always hope, and I will hold on to this of hope until the very, very, <laughs> very end. Like, I don't care. Like, I might even hold on to this one till the end of the show. Like, period. Like, the series okay. finale. All right, Lori mentioned, what about True Love's Kiss? Exactly. I was thinking that same thing when I was watching that scene. I was like, I thought for sure Emma was going to bend down and, like, kiss him on the head or something, and that was going to be the big twist for the episode. But Maybe they just didn't want to overuse that, like, you know, because they already have done that so many times. Right. Um, I don't know, really. I don't know. And maybe it wouldn't have worked because Emma is, you know, so conflicted about her feelings. Because obviously there's chemistry between her and Hook as well. I mean, they, they do have chemistry. It's kind of, you know, they have a lot of really great scenes together. So, I mean, maybe it wouldn't have worked because of the fact that she's kind of conflicted. So, I don't know. But, yeah, still not not believing it until the end of the season. Yeah, and like Angie is saying in the chat room, now all of the characters have a personal vendetta against Zelina because before all she had done was turn people into flying monkeys. That's a good point. I'm glad that they did that. Mm. But, oh, oh, my good gravy. Oh, my swan fire. Like, how? Like, ugh. I just... Yeah, you know, I'm one of those people, and, you know, I realize that, you know, it's just a TV show. I mean, I realize that, but these characters, I mean, you can still like something fictional and, you know, be okay with that. So I'm just saying, like, it's a little bit of a crazy thing, and I just can't even believe it. I just can't even (laughs) believe it. So, I mean, it's nuts, isn't it? It's absolutely nuts. Okay, so, anyways. Um, we're going to move on to another bullet point, actually, uh, about something that we're going to talk about because uh, we're going to, like I said, we're taking a little bit different route on this uh, episode of the podcast. We're not going to talk about 
um, the episode as it happened. We're going to talk about um, individual, you know, kind of questions first, and then we'll kind of go through and, and share different ideas and what we thought of different things. So um, in this episode, thankfully, as a result of Neil sacrificing, like, well, him, well, of Neil being sacrificed, I suppose, would be the better way to say it, um, everybody in Storybrooke found out who the Wicked Witch is. And they know that it's Zelina, and now they can go, you know, take care of that stuff. So as far as, you know, the confrontations and those things playing out, we saw in the promo for next week's episode that there's going to be a, you know, Western-style showdown in Main Street of Storybrooke. Um, and it looks like great fun, to be honest. Uh, I, yeah, I can't wait for that. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Um, I really liked, you know, I like the fact that now it's, you know, the truth is out there, that this wasn't a mystery that they were going to keep on pulling. Because honestly, um, to address another topic, if, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why Snow White is so oblivious to this woman being so creepy. So um, yeah, the fact right? that we... The, the fact that we now know for sure that she is the witch, like that everybody knows for sure that she is the witch, that makes me feel a lot better because, you know, like, they know. Like, we don't have to sit here and say, oh, my God, how much longer is this going to, you know, how much longer is it going to take before somebody realizes that the chick running around in a hat and a bright green brooch is probably the green Wicked Witch of Wet. Like, come on, guys. Come on, people. Like, Did you see that you know photo? Here's the sad part of this angle, right? Okay, here's the sad thing. If Henry had his memories, he would have known in an instant who that lady was. Right. He would have totally he called it. He would have known immediately, which makes it even more sad that Henry doesn't have his memories. And that's another storyline that I can't wait for them to, you know, kind of get a wrap on. I agree. I really want Henry to hurry up and get his memories back. And I cannot believe Snow's like, in this episode, oh, I'm the best tracker. But she can't tell that the woman with the big green brooch and witchy-looking hat and clothes is probably the Wicked Witch. I was, everybody's been chalking it up. I know on the staff page we've been saying it must be baby brain. But I, I, I was really surprised that, they played it out that way that Snow had no idea who she was. And I love the picture that's going around online, and it's, it's back and forth between Zelina and Snow. And Zelina's like, do you know who I am? Or do you know who the witch is yet? And Mary Bar- or Snow's like, no. And then it's the same picture of Zelina, but she's holding, like, a broom with a black cat. And it says, how about now? And then the next picture is Selena, and she's holding a sign that says, the person holding this sign is a witch. <laughs> and then Snow's caption is like, no, still no idea. So that's exactly how I felt about the fact that Snow didn't know who she was. And I just want to go on the record. I hate Snow's bathroom. Like, who? I would, I would no. I just hated that bathroom with the two glass windows, like, right there out into the living room. Nope, nope, nope. So that's my interior decorating note for the day. Angie said she I don't saw that picture. Why are there two entrances? Why are there two doors? Like, I mean, I understand. <laughs> why are they, like, why they have like, I, mean, I can't understand why. 
I guess I understand why, because, like, if you have two people, oh, oh you know, I just figured it out. Okay, so, it, like, let's say that, you know, Snow White is having, like, you know, Red stay the night or something, right? Like, Ruby decides to stay over because they had a girls' night and they drank too much red wine and then they fell asleep. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, if Snow is in her room, she would want to just be able to get up and go into the bathroom, you know, from her own room without having to, like, go around the corner in the living room. Conversely, you want to have the door in the bathroom so that Red Riding Hood, when she has to go to the bathroom to, like, wash her face and stuff, she doesn't have to go through Snow White's bedroom to do it. You know what I mean? So that's why there's two doors in the bathroom. So it actually, logically, it actually makes sense for the apartment. Okay. Yeah, but two big windows? I don't think so. I would, like, your living room's right there. It's a big, giant window. So when you have company, you just, you know, run off into this little, I don't, I don't know. I hated it. Yeah. So now, so now that we, so now that we figured out the architecture of Mary Margaret's bathroom, um, <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about is um, uh, Regina. Well, okay. For, wait. First of all, okay. So Lumiere was in this episode. Mm. Kind of weird. weird. I don't know how they. I, think, I don't really know how they could have done a living candelabra, but. I kind of thought that maybe, like, they could have just had his, like, his face come out of the metal in the middle of it or something. Like, yeah, you know? Or I don't know. I, I like the design of it. Like, I like that the face and the flames and everything because I really don't know how else they could have done him. But I don't know. It just, between him and the vault, to me, it kind of, almost seems like, you know, what can we do? What can we throw in here to move the story? And, like, he was pulled in for that. It just, I don't know. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more from him. Peter Pisa said he lived his life like a candle in the wind. I guess he did, quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Peter Pisa, you're hilarious. All right, so it looks like we've actually got somebody who's calling in, and they've been on hold for a minute here. So I'm going to bring them on the line find out what their pain is on stuff. Hold on here. Okay. All right, so if you are calling from the number that ends in 7884, you are on with the Once Upon a Fan podcast. Who's this? Uh, hi, this is Shannon. Hey, Shannon. How are you? I'm okay. How about you guys? Very Doing good. pretty good. recovering from the episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, me too. Um, my poor sister, <laughs> when she noticed um, my face just like I was frozen during that one scene, she was like, honey, please be okay. And I'm like, Aww. I can't believe they're doing this. Me too. And normally I tweet a lot. I told Zach after the episode, and I don't give away spoilers what I tweet, but I, I like to watch everybody's reaction and I'll tweet pictures and, you know, just little comments. I I was so ticked off and just in shock that I had nothing to say. I didn't even tweet after, like hardly at all after the episode. It was crazy. Yeah, I yeah I, I I couldn't move. I was just like in shock and my eyes were welling up and everything. It was just like I mean I heard the rumors for like over the hiatus and you know how Tumblr can be like very strange. I'm like no, they couldn't do something like this and. What do they do, like, soon after the hiatus is over? I'm like, 
seriously, there has to be more to this. Yeah, I, I think there is. Zach, I know you think yeah, there is, too. I feel the same way. Yep, definitely, definitely. Do you think that he's alive, Shannon, or do you think that that's it, that he really is? Actually, I posted something on my Once Upon a Time blog mm-hmm. uh, a few hours ago that, yes, Neil, I actually, in a way, I think I'm on the fence about this. I was, like, racking my brain over this for the last couple of days that I think maybe, yes, he is dead, but he Mm. can be brought back. Hmm. It could, I think anything's possible on this show at this point, really. This, uh, remember when Archie and Blue Fairy uh, died and they teased about a big death, they'll change like the town and everything, and then a few episodes later, they're back to life. Yeah. Or they weren't even dead. So, yeah. That's actually the reason why I'm worried that Neil, you know, could be dead for real because they've had characters who are supposed to have died in the past and then they didn't, but they have to, I mean, eventually somebody's got to die to raise the stakes, so it's just going to look funny. So... Um, that's actually something that, that worries me about the fact that Neil could be dead. But like I said earlier, I'm going to hold on to hope on this one until, you know, the season is over and he's, he's still not back. Like, because here's the thing, okay, here's the thing that I want to just, well, I guess here would be the real question too. Is, like, is Neil's character going to appear in any more flashbacks or is that just it? Like, are there going to be other scenes where Neil comes out in other episodes? Because if that's the case, then Michael Raymond James is actually going to still be on some future episodes. It's just going to be in the past and not the present. So I do wonder about that. Because just because he's inside Rumpel, like, he's, like, he could still break on through to the other side. You know what I'm saying? And, like, maybe come out. So it's possible that he might still appear in more episodes, and we just don't know it yet. I don't know. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm- yeah. Oh, go ahead, Shannon. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I was thinking about that, too, that, you know, that there has been rumors that uh, – why would they show us the pictures of Michael back on the Once Upon a Time set when supposedly he's gone for good, and they said the deceased won't have any more flashbacks. We won't see them again. Hmm. Yeah, I – I, I try to keep in mind that Eddie and Adam also created Lost, in which if you haven't seen that series or didn't watch it, a lot of characters did die in that in that uh, series. So and it was very twisty, but I try to keep that in mind. But again, I just I don't know. I just I just don't think that this is the one that's going to stick. I think that too many people. I thought I feel like it's too obvious, you know. Exactly, like it could be a red herring. Right, exactly, Mm -hmm. definitely. And I know Angie is in the chat room, and she doesn't doesn't agree. Um, And they're talking about flashbacks. Now, Angie's mentioning she doesn't think they ever said no flashbacks. So I think it's it's definitely possible that we could, if he is actually dead, dead, that we'll get some flashbacks later on. I hope so, because I hope they do a little bit more to, like, flesh out his character. And they're still, what, like another, they were still in the Enchanted Forest for a good, you know, several months uh, after Neil brought Rumpel back to life. So, I mean, there's all that storyline, too, to see you know, exactly, what like, at that time. 
it's because the Bell and Neil uh, bringing back Rumpel took place not. Uh, I noticed this in like the captions and everything. Like this happened in between they came back to the Enchanted Forest, and then also when Snow found out she was pregnant again. So there's like a three month window to why Belle was back at the castle, and this is around the this is. That means Rumpelstiltskin slash Neil is still around and everything. Like, could prisoner or try to find another way? And mm-hmm. yeah, I think anything could happen. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people like the show because of the fact that I mean, it gives people hope when it seems like there isn't any. So I I think that it's definitely possible. Like we said, I'll, I'll yeah, I think this is going to be a topic. <laughs> I think this is going to be a topic that Oncers will probably, you know, debate for a long time if it ends up being, you know, I mean, I think until, you know, the season ends, they will, and, well, you know, even after the season ends, even if this actually sticks and Neil's really dead, I think it's going to be something that, you know, Oncers will probably talk about for a really long time afterwards, even, you know, beyond the show itself. I'm sure it's still going to be a conversation that comes up at, you know, conventions and online, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I think it'll definitely... Yeah. Shannon, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's nice to talk to somebody about my series and everything. And you know what? I still think there is hope for Neil. There's hope for Emma and Neil. I'm a swan I'm a swan fire shipper. And there you, go. you know what? <laughs> and I uh you know what? I, I, out of most everybody in the show, I believe Neil deserves a happy ending. That poor kid's been through a lot. I think he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, and that's exactly why he shouldn't be dead. So, all right, Shannon, that's mm-hmm. a great way to end the topic on Neil. Thank you very much for calling, and we appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, guys. Take it Thanks, easy. Sweetie. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. All right, that was fun. Thanks a lot, Shannon, for calling in. Cool. Um, yeah, and that's a really good point that she made, too. Like, out of all the people on the show, he deserves the happy ending the most. That's kind of true. The guy has lived for, like, 300 years and still, like, never ended up being, like, happy. I mean, his last right. relationship, I mean, you know, she ended up shooting him and leaving him to die for crying out loud. Like, come on. He needs something to you know what I mean? I like, think... he needs something better than that. Like, I understand that, you know, not everybody gets a happy ending, but out of all the people to not get one, it's kind of messed up. I I did love that conversation that Neil and Emma were having where they were, you know, before the big scene, where they were talking about their exes and, you know, she had dated the flying monkey and he had dated a minion of his, you know, of Peter Pan who turned out to be his grandfather. And I thought that whole scene between them was really cute. And Queer Coffee, I don't know if you saw in the chat room, Zach, but we're talking about Belle's outfit, which you and I have talked about tonight already before we started the podcast, her outfit in the castle that was uh, black tights and short leather booty shorts. And Peter Pizza in the chat room called it a tribute to Booty and the Beast. (laughs) Here's what I can say about that. Um, I'm pretty sure that girl was cold. I'm sure she was probably freezing. I know, right? She had to, and let me tell you, for, um, I know that Belle likes to read, 
And so I think that it's possible that when she was in Storybrooke, she might have read, like, Cosmo or whatever and thought that, hey, <laughs> maybe she picked up Vogue and she thought that, hey, that's, you know, that's the fashion. Maybe the lacy part of her is getting it confused and, like, doesn't understand that snow is cold. I don't know. I'm not a woman by any means, but I certainly, and so maybe I'm wrong, but I please inform me, I don't know of any woman at all that would dress like that when they go out in the snow, especially not to some dark vault. Um, <laughs> if it were me, I would be dressing like, you know, Celine from Underworld or, you know, like Batgirl or something. Like I would have all kinds of armor on. Like I would have like a helmet with the horns. Like you wouldn't be able to bring me down. My armor would be too strong for it. Like you know what I mean? Like there ain't no way that I'm going to a dark one vault without being like armored to the hilt. I'm just saying. Like Rose is saying she needed a clothes horse. She sure did, Rose. She needed to just. Either the hop on or ride with a mermaid. Oh, my God. This is ridiculous. Anyway. So the next point that I want to talk about is that um, Regina and Robin Hood. Okay. Outlaw Queen. I I rarely do I ever, like, actually – I ship them so hard. I ship Swan – like, I mean, I ship Outlaw Queen so hard. Like – those two are like a match made in in fairy tale heaven. Pixie seriously. Dust. <laughs> a match made in Pixie Dust. Yes, exactly. They're such a great couple. Like I love them. I love them together. I love that he is like, you know, quick to take action and you know, she obviously thinks he's handsome despite the fact that he smells like forest. You know, she digs him. <laughs> and uh and what and you know and what's really really heartbreaking about this whole thing is that I'm sure that back in the enchanted forest they probably fell in love or some or and something happened and they don't remember and it's like even though it's Regina getting a taste of her own medicine for a change it's kind of like dang man like really why does it got to be like that. <laughs> mm. You know, when I first heard, or when we first saw earlier that, you know, the man with the lion tattoo was going to be her love, and then we found out, you know, it's Robin Hood, and I was holding off, because a lot of people were already, like, gung-ho, this is going to be fabulous. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. I wanted to wait, and since I'm interacting, I've loved it. I thought that he, he's a good match for her as far as also being strong and able to, you know, give it right back. Like, he doesn't back off from her staff and, you know, her attitude. He's right there. So, and I think that they do have good chemistry together. So, definitely, I I liked it. I thought that it was good. I felt really bad that she was kind of, you know, into him and then saw the tattoo and got scared because obviously she still thinks that or she feels that she can't have that happy ending that she's never going to to get to that point of true love but it's I feel like they're a great match together yeah I agree I can't wait to see more I can't wait for them to like remember everything 
I can't. I hope that it's not too late at that point. Like, and and mind you, I know that there are spoiler pictures and things that are out there. Um, okay. So, I mean, I know that, but I don't really want to know what's happening because obviously they're you know filming the finale and stuff. So, I know that that okay. kind of stuff is going on right now, but I just don't want to see it because I want to be surprised at the end. Um, so, I really hope that you know. I want these two to get together so bad. When he said he was checking her out when they were in that farmhouse, when they were breaking into the yeah, he was checking he her out so hardcore. <laughs> he was definitely looking at her butt in that one scene, and multiple people commented on that. So I know I'm not just seeing something, but I thought it was, I mean, it kind of indicated that they're obviously attracted to each other. So I, I don't know. I think they're great. I, I think they, they film really well too. Like it's one thing to, you know, the writing between the two are, you know, to have it strong and to have the chemistry, but they really do play well together on screen. I love that. So I think they're great. Yeah, it was good. Um, I really, and when, of course, when she saw that he is the man with the lion tattoo, um, okay. kind of like the girl with the dragon tattoo, he's like the man with the lion tattoo. Uh, yeah. um, when she, when she finally saw him, of course she ran. And I was just like, Regina, like, what are you doing? Like, oh, what are you doing? Come on. It's Robin Hood. I mean, oh, Regina. I can't wait for them to get together. You know they're totally going to, but I just, yeah. Yeah, I really... Why she always got to run from her happy ending? Exactly. Well, that's how it's turned out for her so far. I mean, you know, her mother heart-ripped poor Daniel there, and then she had to actually send him to his death again. So, I don't know. I just... I feel I feel bad for Regina because she thinks that she can't have that. And even from the, the finale of the first half of the season, you know, they talk about villains not getting their happy ending. Rose called her runaway queen in the chat room. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. She's like the runaway queen. But I, I don't know. I, I like her with Robin Hood. And I did reserve judgment because I didn't want to just immediately jump on the, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's put them together. But I really do like the chemistry between the two of them. So. Definitely. Those of you who are kind of joining us for the first time, in case we haven't mentioned it or you haven't heard us mention it before, Zach and I uh, go out of our way to avoid spoilers. We don't look at pictures. We don't follow sites on Twitter or Facebook that post spoilers because of the fact that we try really hard to see each episode every week the way that, you know, any average fan would just see it for the first time. Like we love that experience of being surprised and, you know, feeling these twists and turns and things. So we we definitely don't look at spoilers, pictures and all that other stuff. But yeah, I cannot wait to see what happens with this couple. On that note, I used to be a really big spoiler hound actually. Um I used mm-hmm. to chase after them and you know, actively look for them because I just really wanted to know. And that's not even limited just to Once Upon a Time. I mean, I used to do it for everything. Like for the Star Wars prequels, for example, one of the websites that I found, I mean, I knew everything about that movie a full, I mean, all three of them really, a year before any of them were released. Um, And it was just because, 
Yeah, I mean, because people, what would happen is they would go on to the forums, like people who were actually working on the movie would go on the forums and they would tell everybody what was going on. And so, you know, I mean, that, and so we were getting our information. And so, yeah, I knew, like, everything. And then when I saw those movies, because, you know, in my mind, everything that they were, that they were making seemed so really big and grand and awesome. And then when I saw them, you know, whether they were bad or good movies, my expectations had been blown way out of proportion because I was imagining my own version of what somebody else was describing. And then to see the version that actually happened, you know, when it doesn't play out in your head the way you think you will, when you think you have all the information, it's a disappointment. Because you already have an expectation of what the story is going to be because the version in your head is always, you know, the version that you think is best. So when it doesn't play out exactly that way and, you know, the dots that, you know, the stuff that you filled in, like if you only have some of the pieces and you have to fill in the rest, you know, if the picture doesn't turn out exactly the way that you had at first imagined it, you're not happy with it because it's not the same that you imagined. So that's one of the reasons why I didn't like spoilers anymore is because it was ruining my, my, my viewing of things. And it was making me come out of things kind of feeling, like, resentful and disappointed. And, you know, like, I used to be one of those fans who's like, well, I'm not ever watching something like that ever again just because something didn't go the way I thought it would. Well, it's because of my own – that's my own fault, really. I had built those expectations up in my head, so I had nobody to be mad at but myself. So that's the reason why I don't really like to get into spoilers because, you know, anyways – didn't mean to go on a little tangent there, but that is the reason. <laughs> I feel the same way. So. I was spoilers in season one of Once Upon a Time, but more so because I was curious to see if my uh, theories were correct. But I definitely enjoy the show much better with without having the spoilers. And I try for a lot of things, like even with you know movies, like you mentioned. I I definitely I try. Like for example. I have not seen Frozen yet, which I know is going to come as a huge shock to all of you because you know what a huge Disney freak I and my family are. Uh, But I have not seen it yet. I'm going to be seeing it soon. But I have actively gone out of my way to not read posts and uh, reviews or anything about Frozen. And I've actually done pretty good so far, seeing as how it's already out on DVD. I know. Lori's like, what? (laughs) I know. Can you believe it? I, I can't. I, normally, we do try and catch Disney movies in the theater, but there's, we've just had a lot going on in the past several months with, like, medical things and, you know, some expenses and things that have come up, and we haven't been to the movies in forever. I, I don't even remember the last movie that we saw in the theater because things have been so crazy. So definitely cannot wait. But, yeah, no spoilers. One of the best movies ever, like, <laughs> And what's funny about Frozen, I mean, not to go off topic, but just to talk about Frozen for a second, one of the things I love about Frozen is that a lot of the humor comes from the unexpected stuff. Because you have the night, because kind of like what I was expecting, you know, talk about with spoilers, you have an expectation for, you know, a princess movie or even an animated movie or a Disney movie, or if it's all three, then okay. When 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 it doesn't go the way you imagined in a good way, it's it's equally as good because there are some lines in Frozen that are completely just throwaway one-liners, not even really, you know, obvious a part of a joke that are just hilarious. Like at one point, like Anna falls and, you know, Kristoff catches her and she's like, wow, you caught me. And then he puts her down and says, that was like a crazy trust exercise. It's just like, 
And in context, maybe when you see the movie, you'll probably laugh out loud at that line because it's pretty funny. <laughs> but, like, I mean, and for anybody who's seen Frozen and you're in the chat room, I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about. Like, it's, it's just really, like, a, a, like Olaf, for example. It's just kind of one big ball of snow random. Like, he's just the most random little character, and he's just adorable. Like, he loves warm hugs. And, like, like oh, yeah, like, oh, Amy, I can't talk about that movie right now because, number one, we're talking about Once Upon a Time, and number two, you haven't seen it yet. And, okay, number three, I'll make sure that you see it really soon, I promise. Okay, so um, let me see. Our next point of discussion, because I want to make sure that we um, leave time for Wonderland and everything, and we've got Richard coming up soon, uh, Richard Hottam, who is the uh, – one of the consulting producers from Wonderland. If you're late to the podcast, he's going to be joining us live uh, shortly, actually, uh, within half an hour, I will say. Um, hopefully so. So, yeah. Um, anyways, um, favorite moments of this episode. We're going to, again, we're doing something different in this podcast where we're talking about different, you know, plot points and then doing some favorite moments and favorite quotes and things like that. This is what we do on the staff roundtable on Once Upon a Fan. We publish those articles every week. Um, for what we all think, because it's not just me and Amy and Once Upon a Fan. There's uh, 10 people on staff. So we all contribute to a weekly roundtable, and we publish that every week. So this week we're following that format instead just to kind of change things up and you know put a little spice in the podcast a little bit, make it a little bit different. So favorite moment of this podcast? Well, I know what my least favorite moment was. Um, I think that my favorite moment um, actually – was during Neil's death when he gave Emma her swan necklace back. Okay. Uh, even though that's not the way that I was expecting that moment to play out, I was really happy to see that, you know, she did get the necklace back and that Neil was the one to give it to her. I mean, I knew he was going to because she, she gave it to him, so it only makes sense that he was going to give it back to her. I just thought that it was going to play out in a different circumstance. Um, I thought it would play out more as like, a, you know, he gave it to her when they got back together kind of thing as like a romantic yeah. gesture and instead it ended up being what it was. So um, it is her talisman though and I really think that she's going to use that, you know, and Neil as, you know, her motivation for finding the Wicked Witch and stopping her. So um, that was my favorite moment even though it was sad. My favorite happy moment though was the conversation that Emma and Neil were having right before he, you know, started to die. Um, okay. Because... I thought that it was just so sweet and touching and they were laughing and joking together and, you know, I just thought that it was great. It was so cute. And it showed their potential and their chemistry as a couple and, you know, that it's still there and, you know, that they still had it. So as a Swan Fire fan, that was what I liked. Amy, what about you? What was your favorite moment? Well, Angela made a point in the chat room that I just wanted to bring up about Booted in the group and they did need her help. That was one thing I really did like about this episode. Belle is known for her love of books and not just in Once Upon a Time, but in the Beauty and the Beast cartoon. You know, she loves books. We associate her with them in the library. I really did like that her all that lore from her constantly reading and being kind of a bookworm came into play this week and that, you know, she got to use that book smart. So it wasn't the first time we'd seen it because she did mention knowing about Oz when everybody else wasn't aware that it was a real land. But I really liked that. My favorite moment, though, is I'm kind of torn. I, I did like when he handed her 
the necklace back and he told her to find Tallahassee even if it wasn't with him. I feel like that was kind of a heart-wrenching moment. But I thought that the banter between them during the fiancé conversation was perfect. I, I thought that scene was really, really great. So between that and the Regina Robin Hood moments in the farmhouse, I think that those are probably tied for my two favorite parts of the show this week. Least favorite moment? Yeah. <laughs> I could go on for hours about that, but uh, <laughs> probably when we got to the end credits that I realized that there wasn't a twist and that Neil was supposedly actually dead because I was legitimately, and I, I have never actually been mad because usually I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's a it's a show, no biggie. But I was legitimately angry that, 90% of what what everybody was saying was correct and that Neil was the death. I, that, that final moment when, oops, he didn't pop back alive and somebody else died, that was probably my least favorite moment this week. I mean, obviously, yeah, my favorite, my, well, my least favorite moment, obviously, was Neil dying, period. Um, there's a meme, there's a picture, and there's a meme. And if anybody in the chat room or anybody listening to the podcast knows what I'm talking about, please feel free to tweet it to me because I have looked and looked and I can't seem to find it. It's a meme where it's like a little cartoon person and they're like looking really unhappy with the book in front of them. And I think above them it says something like that moment when you look up and realize that everyone around you hasn't just experienced trauma at the hands of a literary character or something like that. I need to find that meme. I need to find that meme because – I I feel that that perfectly describes my feelings right now about Neil dying, um, and, and I I need the meme because I <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean I just do. So that's what I want to see. Um, if anybody has that and you want to tweet it to me, please do. Because uh, yeah, I just think that it would be kind of fun to send that out because I know that all you know a lot of us, especially Swanfire fans are probably feeling the same way. Um, even people who weren't real heavy into Swampfire, I know that this episode kind of affected them pretty, you know, a little, even a little bit. So, um, yeah, lots of stuff coming up next week. Like I said we earlier, we have that, you know, the Wicked Showdown in the middle of the street, which is going to be, you know, I love how it's like, I love, how, I love when Zelina says to Regina, when she's like, this isn't the Wild West, and she says, no, it's the Wicked West. Like, yeah. Okay. I love that it's like cowboy style. And then I've seen, I did see, um, you know, a picture of the two of them together in that scene. And she, like, Selena has green gloves on and Regina has red gloves on. And I just, which is totally perfect. Now, having said that, it kind of flies in the face of the whole red is power thing because from what I could see, Regina did not look very empowered in that confrontation. And she has the red gloves on. But at the same time, you know, we're talking the the evil queen and her thing is the apple, which is red, versus the wicked witch who was green and her gloves were red. So it, it makes sense, but it kind of it's kind of a funny thing to see. I wonder how it's going to turn out and if Regina is going to end up on top in the end of that battle or not. What I really want to see, like, wouldn't it be awesome? Because in that promo, you see, I mean, you know, well, spoiler alert: five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so in the promo for next week's episode, you see. 
Regina go flying through the clock tower. Yeah. And I think, like, what I would love is for her to get back up and just conjure this huge, big lightning storm and just fry Zelina like no other. <laughs> like, like storm from like, seriously, like, just go for it, girlfriend. I'm telling you, just let it go. Like in Frozen, Regina, let it go. Like, make just, like, one tiny little individual rain cloud right above her head and make it rain on her and make her melt. Like, just do it like that Winnie way. Like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, exactly, like Winnie the Pooh. Although, I've said it before in the podcast, and I am going to say it again. I really wonder if the whole, you know, throwing water on the Wicked Witch thing, I wonder if that's actually going to end up being something where, like, that's how people used to taunt Zelina for her green skin, you know? Like, they used to, like, you know, say they were going to throw water on her to, make, to like, cure her or something like that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, almost like Carrie, you know, because they seem to be going with, like, a horror movie vibe this part of the season, so it would be like a Carrie kind of thing, you know? Um, right. I'm not going to say which scene because I just realized what scene it is. But, yeah, you know, there's a scene in Carrie where it's very similar to that. So um, it is uh, – that's about all we've got for Once Upon a Time. So, Amy, shall we move on down the rabbit hole to Wonderland? Yes. Uh, we mentioned earlier that we got the news this week that Wonderland only is going to have one more episode. It's going to be the finale next – or this week, actually, a day after tomorrow. On April 3rd, we are getting the episode called And They Live, dot, 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 which kind of makes me think that not everyone is going to get a happy ending since it's not called And They Live Happily Ever After. So I'm a little little bit worried about that. I've seen a lot of people kind of discussing what they think is going to happen. In this past week, we had... Uh, Amara, who was released from the staff, and we didn't actually see what happened. I was going to ask you about that, Zach. How do you think that she actually got out of the Jabberwocky got there and told them that Amara would be the one that she could help them bring Anastasia back to life, that they had no idea how to get her out of the staff? I feel like the way that it worked, and it, and I feel like they broke it. And the reason why I feel that they broke the staff is because, uh, number one, that's what happens in Aladdin. And number two, it seems like that's the opposite of what you should do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like breaking it would kill her or something, but instead it would release her. So I kind of think that that's, that's, what I, that's what I assumed had happened, was that they had just, like, smashed the staff. Right. One thing I loved about this week was, that there was a couple of things that I absolutely loved about this week's episode. I love that we got to see the knave when he was still the knave of hearts. He had that outfit on, the red, when he was enlisted to be the knave of hearts by Cora, because we saw a few of the fact that she had his heart, you know, he asked her to take it because he didn't want to feel that pain over Anastasia. I love her filing system, lover. I love that it gave Alice another chance to show how clever she was in figuring that out. She's very smart, this Alice. I feel like, you know, she's the one who kind of has started to solve riddles, and she was the one who solved the riddle between the two doors, and now she figured out that a knave and a jack were kind of the same thing, so she was able to find Will's heart. Did you like the way that he was played when, in the flashback scene? Yeah. 
Um, I really um, – it reminded me of Bandit Snow, actually. Um, yeah. All Once Upon a Time. That was what it made me think of. On the topic, too, of Will's outfit, can I just give Eduardo Castro a big old thank you for offering all of us gentlemen yet another male option for cosplay and things like that because, you know, sometimes it can be a little limited options. So it's nice to have another character dressing in another style with another outfit to kind of give those of us who like doing that kind of thing another option. So thank you very much, Eduardo. Um, on another note, though, yeah, um, Alice, I've always felt, and I said this too um, in this week's episode when I was live tweeting it, I feel like Alice needs to be called Alice the ass kicker. And, you know, excuse my language, but, but that's, seriously, that's what she does. Because whenever I watch those scenes, I don't really see a stunt double. I see Sophie Lowe. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, 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 that she can hold her own on her own stunts and that she can do all that stuff, I think it's great. Um, so, yeah, I just want to, I mean, that's, that's my opinion. Okay. Um, what else you got, Amy? I was kind of surprised that Anna stayed dead through the whole episode. <laughs> I was like, I thought for sure that we were going to maybe see her come back. And like I mentioned, I was a little bit, you know, worried that this might mean that she is going to end up being dead at the very end. But I just, overall, I'm really sad that the, the series is ending. We got a lot of, of things that have been coming to light. I love that we actually got to see a side of the Jabberwocky this week. That was probably my favorite moment. I will say that when the Jabberwocky said that, you know, they call, the name called her a monster, and she said, you know, we're not born monsters, we're made. Yes. I got to cut you off because we have somebody who's calling. Yay. Hey, Richard, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yeah, I can hear you. Hi. Hello. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Oh, my God. We are so excited to talk to you. I can't even act like I'm not, like, like I'm remotely not excited. So, yes. <laughs> well, I am so happy to be here. And by the way, you guys are great. I mean, listen, you have no idea how much we appreciate the support of people like you and all the fans who are so vocal. And, you know, you guys go so far out of your way to, to demonstrate and, and, and share how enthusiastic you are about the show. Nothing could make us happier. Everyone in the writer's room knows about it. Everyone on production up in Vancouver, the cast, we all know about it. It keeps us going. You have no idea how much we appreciate it. So thank you so much. Oh, my God. That really, really makes me happy <laughs> to hear because I know we see so much of the stuff that the fans say and so much of the fans really just supporting it. And a lot of people have wondered if, you know, not if ABC is aware of it. And I know that you are because I've mentioned a lot of times that you and, like, Katie Wetz and Jen Nash and, and Jen Cal, everybody, you know, the writers have been so great to the fans, especially on Twitter. You guys have been really interactive, and I can't even tell you how much we appreciate that because that's been, you know, something that has meant so much to the entire fandom. I've heard that from many people. We've been well, really yeah. – 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's fun for us, you know, and when we get an opportunity to share anything, you know, we want to do it. So, yeah, and, and then we make fun of each other for, you know, who doesn't have any followers. Katie was always upset <laughs> she didn't have enough followers. You know, we're like, well, okay, here's what you need to do. Well, let, let us help you with your tweets a little bit. Let's get you going. So, so we would make fun of her, and then finally, so, suddenly she got a big flood of followers. So, so then she was happy. So, you know, we, uh, you know, I, I – we, we just, you know, the goal now is just Twitter followers. That's pretty much how everyone marks, you know, their their value as a human being. And I think it's accurate, so. <laughs> the number of Twitter followers. That's I'm going right. to make sure that, that gets posted. That gets posted yeah. on my, uh, my tomb. I have 700 Twitter followers. That's yeah, and then, and then when you die, the number is carved on your tombstone. Yes, exactly. exactly. Right underneath the thing. Like, it'll be right exactly. underneath and your Facebook followers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't even need your name. All you need is that number on your stone. <laughs> right. That, that people need. will know how long to spend standing at your grave worshiping you. <laughs> Was she cool enough? I don't know. Let's look at her number. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to exactly. waste time mourning someone with not that many followers. I mean, you know, it's just, look, we're all busy people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've got to move on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. True. Well, Richard, we've got a lot of questions, and thank you very much again for doing this, and especially like what Amy was saying earlier, being so active on Twitter, um, seeing like the creative side of things is really, you know, inspiring for those of us who are into creative arts and so forth. So it's Good. another perspective I don't often get to see. So I just wanted to thank you really quick for that too. So, yeah. Good. Our pleasure. Uh, so we've got a lot of questions, so we're just going to dive in. And Amy, if you want to take the next one, if you want to take the first one, rather go ahead. Well. One of the questions I wanted to make sure to ask you this week is, speaking of Twitter, you've mentioned, um, I think during the last live tweet episode that you did, that Wonderland was probably the best experience or one of the best experiences you've had as far as being a part of a show. And I was just curious what kind of set it aside, because you've had, you have like a really, you know, several shows and projects that you've worked on. So what kind of set this aside as opposed to some of the other things you've worked on? Well, you know, I mean, it's challenging in the best of circumstances to produce a show and to, I mean, just, you know, the entire process from coming up with an idea for any particular episode, following it through outline, script, and then and then the notes process with studio and network, and then, of course, getting it to production and, and going through that process. Um, you know, not having, you know, on this particular show, the writers never went up to the set. So we were never part of production. That was, you know, that was covered quite competently by the, uh, the crew up there. But, um, but so from our point of view, it, it was a matter of, you know, how, how supportive is the studio and the network in terms of what it is we're trying to do? And the answer is very supportive. I mean, they really... I mean, it, it's fun when you're in a situation where the studio and the network are among your biggest fans. They're huge fans of the flagship Once Upon a Time. Um, you know, uh, Adam and Eddie are clearly a Im hugely important part of the ABC family, and they were, you know, and they were, you know, ultimately our spokesman uh, for everything we wanted to do. And and so that process was really fairly easy. And then. And then on the other end, you've got this amazing cast that we all really enjoyed. And, you know, and we had the experience, like you guys do, only earlier, of watching them evolve with, with their characters. And we're like, I mean, I can tell you that the character of the Red Queen, 
the trajectory that she's been on this, this season was absolutely not part of the plan from day one. Really? We, as, as we broke stories and as things unfolded and as we watched uh, the performance, more and more we became convinced, you know, there's really something interesting here. You know, I mean, you know, Alice is not going to go bad. Jafar is never going to turn good. But here we have a character who's got the potential to sort of go on a real journey. Uh, and, and we're like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's do that. Let's, let's see what happens as we add more and more to her character and more shading and, you know, start her at one end of the spectrum and bring her to the other side, you know, one step forward, two steps back, whatever it happens to be, but let's see where we can go with it. And that was one of the most exciting, rewarding um, discoveries of the entire season for us. So, so, I mean, and I'm kind of getting off into another subject, but, but let me just say that sort of the ease with which and the cooperation with which everything proceeded, uh, that made it a great experience. And, you know, we were also led by a guy named Zach Estrin, who was our showrunner and just so unbelievably skillful at keeping all the plates spinning at all times, keeping everybody happy and laughing and feeling valued and appreciated. So, I mean, you know, and as a writer on a show, that's, that's what you're really looking for at the end of the day. You just, you, <laughs> there's sort of a joke among writers. You know, you just want to work on a show where you don't drive home crying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can definitely I mean, understand I, that. So I, before, I, I definitely can. Yeah, before that was the intention for Red Queen, was did, was there something specific laid out as far as a beginning, middle, and end for her that got changed as you went along? Well, no, because, you know, in the beginning, you just sort of look at it like, well, we've got our good guys, Alice and the Knave. We've got our bad guys, Red Queen and Jafar. We've got Cyrus in the middle. He's sort of, you know, he's the, he's the lost Ark, you know. <laughs> he's yeah. the item that needs to be recovered and then, you know, you know used for either good or ill. Um, and, you know, okay, so, you know, that's our plot. We knew that was going to happen and that along the way you'd find things out about people. But, um, but not, not, not necessarily. It's not like we had one plan and then switched it for another as much as, as we started, you know, delving into the backstories of everyone, we thought um, we thought we had an opportunity, and I'm just I'm so glad it sort of played out the way it has. I am too. I love love Emma Rigby, and I adore the way that Anastasia has developed over the season. I know Zach does too. He's a huge huge fan. Zach, I've been um, we've talked about it on the podcast before. I was already an Alice in Wonderland fanatic before. I started collecting Alice in Wonderland things a long time ago. So I was worried, honestly, going in that I wouldn't care for the show, but I immediately loved it. And that was actually inspired by the original show to, you know, kind of gave him hope. And he's talked about it on the podcast before. And he's going, he's in film school now. He he went back to school. He totally had, you know, a big moment for himself and a turnaround. So I think the things that both shows inspired have been huge. Well, you know, it's funny, the Alice in Wonderland thing, you know, people really do take that personally. And it's really funny. I mean, not, there, there has not really, you know, there's been some controversy about the way we cast Alice because it was not just sort of, you know, the light blonde 
doe-eyed, innocent, wandering through a landscape. And, you know, it was like we, a decision was made early on. This is going to be a different sort of Alice. And the network talked about it a lot. They talked about this is a kick-ass Alice, unlike any we've seen before. And a lot of people had a little bit of trouble, you know, when they, when they saw the early episodes. They're like, what is this? And, um, you know, it was, it was not, uh, you know, people were thrown for a loop. So that was, you know, but it was a, it was a decision we made. And we, for the story we wanted to tell, we went for it. Yeah, I think we that it really, that. That, was, that was one of the things that actually drew me to the show and made me like it more than I thought I was going to was the fact that she wasn't just some kind of wilting damsel in distress you know, like you said, kind of blonde, doe-eyed Alice that we were used to. She was a kind of a take-charge, kick-ass character who could hold her own. And the fight scenes in the very in the pilot, I mean, I remember when I saw those, I was actually like kind of almost like off the couch because it was like, wow, she can handle her own. And this is like, <laughs> this is almost like Alice has gone through the looking glass, but in a different sort of way. So I can, you know, I can dig it. Like, I, I really liked it. So that was one of the things that I really liked. Well, plus audiences are, are, are primed for that now. I mean, there, there's been a history of strong women who are, you know, strong in their heart, but also strong in their, you know, kicking leg. And, you know, the, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't totally out of the blue. And we, we were exhilarated, too, because, you know, on the one hand, we knew there was going to be the emotional side, you know. She's in love with Cyrus. She wants to get this guy back. So we weren't worried that she was going to be unsympathetic or just sort of a, you know, an assassin. But at the same time, we're like, look, she's got to drive this story. She's, she's the one, you know, with the machete in her hands, cutting her way through Wonderland. So it's like, okay, we, we, we've got to give her some tools and we've got to give her a skill set that, that, we, that we're willing to go on this journey with her. And, and it just made the humor of the knave even better because he's not that guy, you know, yeah. he can hold his own in a fight, but he's not the one going, okay, little lady, let me be the one to uh, lead you through this dangerous landscape. He doesn't even want to be there. Right. <laughs> he was happy in his little, uh, one of the other things we loved was that he was in Storybrooke. We loved yeah. that. that I know how great was that. That was fantastic. But I, there are the female characters are really strong in this show, and I, th- I think that that's awesome. And we well, you got to realize, and we, we, we had a very, you know, uh, a strong uh, female writing. Uh, uh, staff and and of course you know that's kind of weird because it's like oh you mean a room full of guys can't write compelling women or a group of women can't write compelling men but you know between Rena Mamoon and Jan Nash and Jen Cow and Katie Wesh you, you know there were uh, and of course Jane Espenson who was sort of you know w- you know we got to you know borrow her uh, from from once you know we, we it was you know they they took all that and ran with it. And there was no chance that these female characters were going to be given short shrift on any level. I mean, they were, they were right there. I mean, all the way through and including Amara, who also kind of surprised us. Really? In what way? Well, again, you know, I mean, we just, you, you know, the, the, there was a character that, you know, didn't exist on day one, then existed, then existed in, in an odd form. And then ultimately we're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, we've got to, you know, who, who is this Amara person? And then we figured it out, you know, so we, uh, we were able to uh, suddenly tie. And it's so funny. I mean, probably more than any show I've worked on, this was one where, the, where it's like the first half was just spent throwing a lot of ideas, you know, onto the floor. 
And then the second half was, oh, my God, now that we're collecting them up, they all fit together. Um, it, was, it was really astounding. I mean, the, the most satisfying payoffs were, were reached purely intuitively based on earlier ideas. It's like, well, thank God we made that decision in Episode 3 because it's really helping us in Episode 11, you know, or whatever. Mm. You know, speaking of Amara, um, you know, and the fact that you guys incorporated, you know, Agrabah and, you know, you know kind of shades of Aladdin into the story, um, was that part of the, I mean, obviously with Jafar being, you know, the villain of the story that I understand that was probably part of it from the beginning, but how much development did you guys have for Agrabah in the original idea? Like, did that evolve over time that, to involve more Agrabah elements? Yeah, totally. That was, that was something that, you know, we knew we had available to us. But it sort of just depended on, well, what, what stories are we interested in telling? What flashbacks are we interested in pursuing? Um, you know, I mean, some of it just depends on casting. You know, you cast people and you're like, well, you know, do we like them? Do we want to see that person again? Yeah, maybe we do. You know, okay, well, let's, let's, you know, let's see if we can make that happen. Or in other cases, well, you know, that was interesting once, but there, maybe that's not very fertile territory. Let's, let, let's move somewhere else. You know, aesthetically, do we like being in Agrabah? What does that give us? Um, you know, do, it, it, do we look at the two places and go, well, we'd much rather be in Wonderland or perhaps we'd rather be in Agrabah? I mean, we had so many ideas of various lands we could go to. Um, for various reasons or places that, I, I mean, you look, uh, I'll tell you that um, in, our, in our winter uh, finale, when, uh, when the knave ends up in the bottle, mm-hmm. um, for, let, let, let me just put it this way. For a while on the board, uh, we had Jafar sending a tornado and that the bottle was going to get sucked up into a tornado and when the knave woke up, he was going to be in a very different land. Really? <laughs> but we, oh, we ultimately, awesome. let's just say that ultimately we didn't go to that land, but um, ultimately that land uh, got used. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's sweet. Thank you for sharing that detail. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and we're like, you know, okay. And, and part of it was, you know, a lot of shows on every network last fall um, as, as pilots were being sold and, you know, and we're reading every day about our friends selling pilots and different shows in development. There were so many Wizard of Oz, Oz things going. And we're just like, oh, well, you know, we're already in production. We can beat all these people to the punch. And so ultimately, you know, uh, ultimately that, that, uh, we did beat a lot of people to the punch, just not on our show. Wow, because we we love Oz too. We're aside from me being an Alice in Wonderland fanatic, Zach and I are both huge Oz fans from back, you know, the books, and then it was kind of an annual event. You know, you go and it only came on once a year. I know I'm probably dating myself to half of our listeners, but oh, I I remember. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was a big deal. Yeah. Well, and now that you know. Now that Disney owns every story that has ever been written in the history of time, <laughs> literally, um, you know, Adam and Eddie will have endless, you know, I mean, next year, you know, they'll go to Tatooine. Oh, that would be fantastic. Cause we're you know, or, like you know, or they'll end up, you know, in the, the Marvel world or something. I mean, God knows they can do anything they want. So I know, right? <laughs> 
Did you feel like the caterpillar was he intentionally made to to be sort of job of the hut ish? Speaking of Star Wars. Well, you know, kind of. I mean, I mean, we we began talking about him. I mean, first of all, you know, physically, there's there's the the resemblance in a certain way, just the big globby sort of guy. But then we just thought, well, it, you know, Wonderland has to have some some danger on the ground. It can't just be Jafar, you know, and it can't just be a lot of, you know, friendly characters sort of showing up. It's like, you know, the Cheshire Cat has got to be uh, predatory. And, mm. um, and I'm actually sad we never got to bring the Cheshire Cat back because I thought that just that, that whole, the creation and the look of it was just oh. so cool and the voice and everything. I just... You know, so it was kind of sad that we never really found a good reason to uh, to really do a lot more with the cat. But um, but the caterpillar um, uh, was yeah, it was sort of like well, let's make him sort of the lord of the uh, underland, you know, the underworld, and see what we can get out of that. So, but it's tough. I mean, those characters are CGI, and that just sucks up time and money. And you know, when you're doing a feature film, you've you've got plenty of time and plenty of money. And when you're doing you know. Um, uh, an eight-day show, and you've got to do 13 of them, time and money is something that is always in short supply. So whenever we went to characters like uh, the rabbit and, uh, uh, you know, the, the caterpillar, all of that stuff had to be really thought out in advance and used very judiciously. Richard, can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by the by the eight day show? Like, does that mean that you guys would go from like conception to writing to filming all within eight days, or was it filming for? No, eight? I'm sorry. Yeah, that I um, an eight day show means you have eight shooting days to film the material. So, um, in, in terms of script development, you have you have longer. You know, you, you you try to get a jump on it earlier. You know, before production begins, you you, you try to start a, a few months out, a uh, couple months if you can, and get get some writing done and get some scripts. You know, as close to done as possible. But once production begins, it really is a train leaving the station because. Every eight days, you know, you, like, you know, they'll start on a Monday and shoot for five days. Then the following week, they'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's the end of episode one. And Thursday morning, they begin episode two. And it goes without stop. Five days a week, you know, one episode ends, next one begins in terms of shooting it. And that material has to get done. And it's a new director coming in each time. And it, right. it, it, it just becomes a, like a conveyor belt that you've got to keep up with. So what's the turnaround time like as far as like when filming gets done? I mean, obviously after filming, you know, the, after the production part of it, then there's post-production and music, special effects, editing, everything all together. What is the process like to actually finish an episode once it's been, you know, once filming is done? And like how long, what's the turnaround time on that? Well, it's interesting because the turnaround time gets shorter and shorter. Um, you know, you, again, you, you'll begin, you know, for a, for a show like, like this, we began filming in mid-July, and then we began airing in October. So for the first episode, technically, you've got a little bit more time for editing, sound, music, special effects, but with each with each episode as you go, you get progressively less time. And once episodes start airing on a weekly basis, the, the, the post-production time really begins to suffer. And, and it, 
it turns into money because ultimately the people doing all those jobs have to start working overtime. And that becomes very expensive, and it's one of the reasons you've seen a lot of shows go on winter break. Because what it does is by going on a, a winter break in terms of airing the episodes, you're still shooting them back to back, but you're buying yourself back more post-production time because you're airing the episodes later. They don't need to be ready to be broadcast for you know, a few months, and suddenly you've got more breathing room, and your, your post-production people can do their work during their normal hours and not go into overtime, and therefore your budget gets, gets you know, back under control. So there's, there's all kinds of things that, uh, that network TV does. Cable doesn't have to do it, because cable, you know, they, they premiere whenever they want, and they run the episodes whenever they want, and they can, they can get everything done you know, six months in advance. But on network, you always have this sort of weird, you know, diminishing amount of time to accomplish things. So all of that stuff has to get figured in because it all costs money. Gotcha. Okay. That, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense, actually, as far as the special effects. I mean, with a show this size, I mean, the production of it, you know, I mean, scheduling, locations, you know, getting all the actors, the budgets, the props, all that, I imagine it's got to be, I mean, there's probably a lot of stuff on that plate. Like, can you describe what it's like to manage a production of that kind of, like, size and quality being done so quickly? Well, you know, to a certain degree, we had an advantage in that we had once upon a time preceding us. So in terms of style and in terms of having people who knew how to do that style of show, we, we had a group of people to draw from. But at the same time, we were really taxing some of our people because they were doing both shows. Our uh, Eduardo, uh, the costumer, was doing both shows. And doing two shows of that kind at the same time, that is a titanic task. Um, and yeah. there, were, there were a handful of, of, um, of people who were working on both shows at the same time in terms of, you know, uh, uh, producing it up in Vancouver. So, so that was difficult. So, you know, on the one hand, yes, big show. On the other hand, at least there was a model of how to get it done. And, you know, locations and green screen applications and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you'll notice, though, that even that changed. Um, the, the original plan for the show was for it to be done far more on stage, almost entirely on stage, with green screen and computer-generated backgrounds. Um, and, and, a, and a lot of the sets had that. I mean, I'd say in every episode, you know, there were many, many uh, shots that where a green screen was involved or, or other uh, computer-generated images. But, but the, the early episodes, when they were walking through Wonderland, a lot of that was done on stage, and ultimately we decided we didn't like that look as much. It just it didn't feel as wondrous. We didn't have the time and the money to really render it in a way that felt both wondrous and real. It, 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 it right. took on an unreal look that, that I think people were, uh, you know, viewers and we were, were like, oh, that, that's not as satisfying as it could be. And so you'll notice as the, um, as the show continued, more of the journeying was done in actual outdoor environments. And I think the reality of those environments helped inform the reality of the entire show. Okay, that makes sense. And we did notice, yeah. One thing I wanted to do... So as far as, like, the... um, 
As far as like the uh, you know filming the pilot and everything, when Wonderland first you know kind of came into existence and you first heard about the project, how like I mean most people, from what I understand, were familiar with Once Upon a Time because you know at least the concept itself was so unique. But how familiar were you with Once Upon a Time when you started getting involved with Wonderland and you know did you have to do anything to really familiarize yourself with it or anything like that? Well, you know, I mean, it's weird, and you'll probably be shocked to hear that um, when I got the job, I was very familiar with Once Upon a Time, but in concept, but had never seen an episode. Um, and I, it always sounds crazy, but when you're when you're working in television and you know as a writer or anything, um, your viewership drops dramatically. You know, maybe you'll catch uh, you know a, a couple shows where either you know someone or you you know everyone's talking about you know Breaking Bad, so you've got to watch that or something. But in terms of just sitting back and being a viewer who enjoys things your time is so compromised that it's sort of like, oh, yeah, I hear that's a good show. I'll get to it later. You know, I'll, I'll, once it's out on DVD or once it's streaming, I'll just watch all the episodes at once. So, you know, TV writers sometimes are the, are the least informed. Plus, you've heard about the deal and you know who's working on the show and you kind of feel like you already know the show anyway. It's like, oh, yeah, I talked to them. Here's what's going on, blah, 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 blah. So it gets a little inside, but you end up missing out on stuff. So, what happened was I had finished up on Grimm, and it was, you know, I had heard that, oh, you know, I knew Jane. I know Jane Espenson. She's a friend. I've worked with her before. And I heard that, oh, suddenly, you know, she's on Once Upon a Time, but now she's going to be working on the pilot of the spinoff uh, with Zach Estrin. And I know Zach. I've worked with him on my first show, Miracles. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's great. So I literally, I sent Zach an email and Jane, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are working together. That's so cool. I'd kill to be in that room. You know, just sort of tossing it out there, like, and literally just saying, hey, I don't, you know, it's not that I'm a huge Alice in Wonderland fan or that I e have even seen Once Upon a Time, but I know you guys, and I'd like to work with you. And who knows what's going to happen? And, you know, you, you know when you're out there looking for work, you, you meet with a ton of people. But, you know, you want to work with people you like. And so I sent the email, and they're like, oh, that sounds great. You know, we'll see what happens. So things went forward for them, and other meetings took place. And ultimately, I got to meet with Adam. Uh, I met with Adam and then later met Eddie and had a great meeting and heard, you know, read and saw what they had been working on in terms of the presentation because they sort of wrote half an episode and filmed half an episode rather than a full pilot, just enough for, you know, Paul Lee and the other people at ABC to look at it and go, well, yeah, this looks awesome. We love the cast. Let's do this. So by the time that was happening, it was May and, it, you know, shows were being picked up and this show got picked up. And then they said, come on, you're hired. Let's go do it. And at that point, we all sat down, and it was like, okay, so now do we need to go watch every episode of Once Upon a Time? And everyone from the top down was, was pretty clear about, look, this is its own world. There's not going to be a ton of characters you know, intermingling. As long as you understand the structure of the show, where we tell a, a present-day story and a flashback story, you're doing your own thing. Make your own show. Tell your own stories. And at that point, we were just like, great, we get it. We, we, we've seen you know, portions of the pilot, so um, let's just start creating. And with that group, it didn't take long. So we, so we, we, we got to sort of you know, just launch ahead. That's awesome. One of the things that we love about the show is the fact that the writing is so clever. I mean, I feel like you guys really kind of hit gold as far as the writing theme. The, 
like I mentioned, people, a lot of people that I know were actually calling me up and asking me what I thought about the show because they knew I was an Alice in Wonderland collector's fan. And I loved how smart it was and the twist and that it wasn't exactly, you know, a carbon copy. I always said the same thing about Once as well. If I wanted to see the actual Disney version again, I'd just pop in a DVD. But one thing that I've loved recently, and I know Zach does too, is the Jabberwocky. And especially this week, we kind of got a little sympathy for her. Was that something that you guys knew going into it, that you were going to make her a person as opposed to a, like a dragon or a creature the way that she is in the original stories? Well, again, part of that was, you know, again, we can either spend millions of dollars we don't have on a CGI dragon or we can cast a really awesome person who can be in scenes and you can write, you know, you can write dialogue for and have them interact with people. And ultimately, I, I think that's what you want. You, you want some spectacle, but you want people. So we, we made the decision, okay, so maybe, maybe we'll surprise people and the, the Jabberwocky's a person. And, uh, and, and of course, and, and the Jabberwocky sort of, sort of came on stage at a time when the Red Queen was, was sort of receding as a antagonist. And it's like, well, okay, who, who, you know, now Jafar, who's very formidable, but now he no longer really has the Red Queen. So who's going to be his, her, you know, Jafar's right-hand man, as it were, but it's a right-hand woman. And then we're like, oh, okay, wait, this is starting to make some more sense. And, and she's going to be her own creation, and let's make her weird and sort of disturbing. And PETA did an amazing job. So, so we sort of came by it very organically. And, and early on we were thinking, no, this is not – this character will only have one side. This character is going to be pure evil. This is going to be a character almost like elemental. It's, like it, it's almost like fire. Like it doesn't, it doesn't get to make a decision about what it is. It just is. And what it is is bad news. And, and we thought that's really interesting because that's the sort of character that can really – that's really dangerous. That's Jafar handling plutonium. You know, and you can't really reason with something that has no soul. So we're like, oh, this will be, you know, Jafar hooking up with this character will be really, really dangerous. And, and, we, and we love that aspect of it. And then again, sort of purely organically, as we continued on, we thought, well, you know, we could do that. But then again, th that, that character becomes a little bit one note. And once we've played that note, it can become repetitive. So maybe this character can still be dangerous to Jafar and still be a bit of a wild card in our narrative and yet, and yet at the same time uh, show some dimension and show, show that it, you know, the Jabberwocky can, can make its own decisions about certain ways it wants to behave and, and who it wants to interact with. And so, and so we found we could have our cake and eat it too. And that was, you know, uh, uh, again, I'm glad we went that way. I, I love it, and that's actually – I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's one of the things, as Zach and I discuss Wonderland each week on the podcast, we've always talked about how, you know, Jafar has motivation behind what he's doing, and Anastasia has motivation. But the Jabberwocky came in and seemed to be just hardcore, pure evil, and then this week we got that little bit of a twist, and I felt like it kind of played back to the lines we've heard in the Mother's show, Once Upon a Time, where um, they've said – just several times, evil isn't born, it's made. And I thought that connection was really fantastic. Well, and Adam, and, 
you know, we haven't really talked about it, but Adam and Eddie were also uh, crucial in, in that decision. And I think their instinct is always to, to go for the heart and, 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 and reveal what is human and not just have characters be, oh, that's the good one and that's the bad one. It's like, no, people aren't like that. And what makes both shows rich is that there's, you know, the characters have all these levels. Um, it, was, it, it was obviously really fun working with them. They're, they're real characters, as you have seen. Definitely. Now, one of the things also that I had asked you about the last time that you did a live tweet with us for an episode uh, was if there were directions and things that you guys had wanted to get to that there ended up just not being time for. And you mentioned that there were, in fact, you know, lost storylines, as it were, that you had wanted to tell. And the specific one you mentioned was Alice's mother. And we mentioned that on the podcast. And aside from just us, everybody – in the free world seems to want to know what that was. So what was it? <laughs> well, like, I actually have a theory, but I'm probably dead wrong. <laughs> Well, it's 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 weird. That was a tough one. I mean, that was a storyline. I mean, again, you know, it's very satisfying to have done the show and to look back on it and go, you know what, I'm I'm very happy. I mean, there there really there are no regrets with the narrative, um, and of course, you guys will see the conclusion on Thursday. Um, so, but what we were thinking as as we sort of as we sort of drew toward the end was, well, is there a way to kind of like get some sort of, you know, kind of close the circle or something? I, I, I don't know what it was, but a feeling of, you know, well, how did Alice get here in the first place? And, and you know, the, the, the loss of her mother is sort of this thing in her background that clearly is a huge part of what happened to her. And, you know, we, we talk about the mother and she has this, you know, difficult relationship with her dad and, of course, then the, the, the stepmom. And, and we're like, well, well, is there a way to somehow circle back and find out about her mom? And, and did, you know, did her mom, we, we, we had these ideas that, well, maybe her mom uh, had visited Wonderland herself and maybe she left something in Wonderland and Alice is going to find that thing. And that thing is going to become very crucial to the conclusion of the show. And we just thought, oh my God, that's so cool. And we, we, we came up with a lot of different versions, sort of playing with that notion that is there a way to kind of do flashbacks, meet the mom, set the mom up in some way that we can kind of feel like Alice, that that, that sort of mother-shaped hole in Alice's heart can somehow get filled. And, and, we, and we, we went down a number of roads trying to figure this out. Um, and, and, it's, it's, and we also felt like, look, we've done flashbacks to the Knave. We've done flashbacks to Jafar. We've done flashbacks to the Red Queen. We've done flashbacks to Al. We've done every flashback you can do, which is horrifying because we were only doing 13 episodes. I don't know how they do it on Once Upon a Time. Um, but, but we're like, we, we, we have flashed back on every character we can ever flash back, and we've done it twice. So what's, there's nothing left. And yet, I, I, again, I think it was Adam and Eddie who came in and said, look, everybody loves the Knave. Just do him again. <laughs> and we're oh like, well, I know, but we've done him. And it's like, yeah, but we don't know about how they met. And, you know, there's, there's, you know believe me. And, of course, they're, they're coming. They're walking down the hallway from the Once Upon a Time writer's room. We're all on the we're, – we're in a building in, in, in the, the dark side of Burbank. 
uh, the unglamorous end of Burbank, near the you know the muffler store and the uh, you know and, and the Dairy Queen, and, and we're, we're but we're all we're in the same building. It's just like a three-story building, and we're on the second floor. Wonderland's on one end. Once upon a time is on the other end, so you get out of the elevator and you either make a left or a right, and and that's where you go. So so they walk down the hall and they've just come out of a room where they've done a hundred flashback stories, and they're like, guys, you're only doing thirteen. It's not that hard. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> they're like, everyone loves the knave. Everyone loves Alice. Just do the knave and Alice. And we're like, oh okay. And we're like, well, all right. And and at first it felt like, oh god, this is going to be no good. I mean, we've done everything we can do. Who cares? And then by lunch, we're like, well, maybe we can do this. And then by the time we left, we're like, well, you know what? Maybe there is a way to do this. And, of course, this is the way – look, on every show that gets written, this is the process, is that sucks to, well, it's possible to – wait a second. It's sort of cool to, oh, my God, who gets to write this episode? Because I want it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And this, I love the fact that – the meeting between Alice and the knave kind of wrapped around back to the pilot episode to where she met Cyrus for the first time, like literally right around the corner. Loved right. that so much. And yeah, and, and when, well, okay, but and you've sort of touched on it. It's like in that way we got to close our circle. We just closed it in a different way. Right. And of course, on Thursday night, you'll you'll see the the you know the the true closing of the circle. Uh, I'm so excited for you guys uh, to see it. We are beyond excited. That's actually oh my like my, my birthday is Thursday, so I've been telling everybody for weeks that's like my birthday present. <laughs> okay, so you, you guys like. You guys don't know what's going to happen, right? Like, you didn't get your hands on anything. Like, I never know how resourceful no. you people are in terms of finding things out. Like, do you have, you don't know what's going to happen, do you? No, no we, Jack we and I. Yeah. Now there are all together. There are ten of us on the staff, but Zach and I specifically go out of our way to avoid spoilers for both. Shows. Oh, good. So we okay, have I'm no trying, idea. I'm trying to be mindful and not – because there's part of me that feels like, oh, well, it's all done so we can talk about everything. But I'm like, no, you can't talk about the exact last chapter and what happened. So I'm well, trying to be very careful. We would love to have you come back anytime, literally. You can go – oh, you, you got, want to come boy, back I'll, afterwards? But, yeah. Anytime you want. Thing, but, but, yeah, yeah. but, I mean, there's, there's – I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's – uh, there's all kinds of stuff, and there there's uh, you know uh, you know victory and defeat and heartbreak and uh, death and uh, all kinds of stuff coming up. So I was convinced that I'll just let you know this, but after you mentioned that about Alice's mom, I thought for sure, especially after this past Thursday, that it was going to turn out that Jabberwocky was her mother. I've been like <laughs> that's been my theory for for weeks. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, I'm so out I, there. <laughs> I can I can tell you that that is one uh, that is one version we never thought about. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I am really as far out there as I think. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I I don't think I, I don't think that one came up, but wow, wow, that's good. You gotta you gotta <laughs> constantly look. That's the other thing is that you know people come up with stuff and they say things. And, and, you know, the, and again, the, the first instinct is like, that makes no sense. And then you're like, well, okay, but, but think about it. What if it did make sense? Like, could it possibly make sense? And it's like, well, maybe it does make sense. I mean, you know, the Amara thing, you know, I mean, all of that stuff just sort of came out of, wait a second, does this work? Could we actually, could we sell this? And then we, we sort of did the math and looked at it and went, yeah, this makes perfect sense. This is a good, 
this is a good way to go. Let's let's uh, let's do it this way. So so that that's kind of you know I got I'm still speaking so circumspect, but that's how we you know we came up with the what I will call the Amara twist and reveal. That's awesome. Okay. As soon as okay. Speaking of, I've got to ask you a question because it's been driving me crazy. So as far as Wonderland, you know, we've got Agrabah on Wonderland. Amara is there. Jafar is involved. Are any of Amara's sons Aladdin? Well, I guess you're just going to have to wait. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I can't wait for Thursday now. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. That is awesome. Let's just say, let me just tease the youngest one. Oh, the youngest one, I swear. Let me just tease one thing. If you like Gilbert Gottfried, you will love – no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Amy was going to have a heart attack right about that. I heard it. (laughs) I'm such a Disney freak. What about Alice's stepmother? I keep saying that my biggest wish for the finale is that somebody punches her in the nose. <laughs> Was she? Oh my! Wait, did you get hold of a script? What are you talking about? Oh my god! That's I, did. Really... <laughs> <laughs> I said that last week on the podcast. I was like, "This is my biggest request for the finale of." Of Wonderland. That, uh, wow! You mean you don't love her? <laughs> we were going to devote a whole flashback to her life. Oh, you guys have no idea. You get, listen, the, you, you guys, if you could have seen the things that we had on whiteboards, we literally were going to go, oh, God, we, we were going to bring in Harry Houdini. <laughs> we had oh so God. many crazy ideas. We were like, wait a second, what if, what if Harry Houdini is sort of, you know, in uh, Victorian England? And what if somehow someone, you know, he, he ends up coming to Wonderland and, and, and he, you know, they all think he's a wizard. Or what if, he, what if he's a genie? And, and, and it turns out that he came from Wonderland. And, and Harry Houdini isn't a magician at all. He's literally magic. And he's going to help, you know, uh, Alice's dad do something. We, we had all, I mean, the, 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 you got, I, I say this to let you know how wide-ranging and bizarre the conversations get because you never know. You, you know, you come up with something crazy, and then you pitch it, and people are like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, let's do that. You know, or, 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 or it gets shot down because, no, we don't really have the money. We don't have those sets anymore, and it's really hard to shoot there, so let's just not do that. And so then sometimes for very practical reasons, ideas that everybody loves, just, just go away. Because it's like, man, no production, yeah, it's not going to make any sense. Uh, move on, and you just never go back. So, I mean, there's, you have no idea how close you came to seeing a lot of very weird stuff, even wow. weirder than you've seen. I'm so sad that we're not getting. I'm so bitter. We're not getting another. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm bitter too. Yeah, because I gotta say, Richard, it is really disappointing to be a fan of a show and to see the kind of you know potential in the stories that could have been told. And, you know, and then have it just be canceled, I mean, it's kind of disappointing because as fans, like, I mean, really, honestly, I don't know how much you can speak on this, but it really just felt like there was a lack of promotion at some point for Wonderland and that something just kind of changed and that, like, interest kind of fell off the wayside. Because we know originally they had ordered 13 episodes and then they expanded that order, but we still only got 13. What what, what is – Well, here's what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Here's what happened. Two things happened. First, we'll talk about episode order. Um, They ordered 13 episodes. Um, Now, they had had talked. There was was talk 
that they let us know in advance. They're like, now the order may be increased to 16, but it probably won't go beyond that just because that's you know, sort of what we have budgeted time-wise and money-wise. So it could go to 16, but they never ordered 16. They ordered 13, and then they, we were going to wait and see. Um, uh, here, here's the deal. If you go back to last fall, we were actually heavily promoted. In terms of advertising, we were the most promoted new fall show for ABC, probably right behind Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we, we had a huge promotional rollout in, in terms of all of their shows. And again, comparing this to Lucky 7 and um, you know, uh, you know, other shows that premiered in the, in the fall, we, had, yeah. we got a, a big send-off. Internally, we questioned, hey, shouldn't we maybe be premiering right after Once Upon a Time? Yeah. You know, um, just just to really link those shows so that the fans of one can sort of be led right into the other. So that was one thing that, you know, internally, when I say internally, I mean the writers were like, oh, that, that would have been a good idea. Maybe we should have done that. Um, and then, and you know, I give Paul Lee some credit for for sort of accepting that that in a way ABC was a victim of their own enthusiasm, which, you know, you know, it's it's the cruelest way to die. But they moved as we were going to premiere when Once Upon a Time went on their winter break, and then keeping their seat warm was going to be Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, which would have been great, right? Um, people yeah. would have said, "Well, there's no Once Upon a Time to watch, but I can watch this new thing, and and you know maybe I'll like it too." And then and then when Once Upon a Time comes back, they they won't have you know their their fans will not have gone three months with nothing and gone on to do other things with their life. They're still making an appointment for Sunday uh, Sunday night. Well. The, the pilot comes in and scripts come in and they get excited and they go, well, this is too good to you know, waste on mid-season. We're going to promote this and, and launch it in the fall. So on the one hand, you're, you're excited to have the enthusiasm of your network and the vote of confidence. But on the other hand, you're like, wait a second, are people going to be confused? Do people need two shows uh, 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 under this banner at the same time? None of us knew. And, and yet we, we sort of had to believe that, you know, well, the network knows what it's doing. This is their job. And, and you know, and we all had high hopes. Um, and then what happened was, what happens with every show, if the first episode does not perform at the level that they're hoping, money comes off the table. And they go, look, you know, we did the best we could. We tried to open it. And, you know, they try to open TV shows like they open movies. If that opening weekend does great – then they'll throw some more money. If it doesn't, everyone pulls their money off the table and, and turns their sights to uh, greener pastures. And unfortunately, I think th- ultimately that's what happened when the show did not, uh, did not pull the numbers they wanted it to pull, which was a disappointment for everyone. You know, I mean, it's not their fault. No one wanted the show to succeed more than, than you know, the top network brass. Um, we, we knew we were going to struggle for any kind of advertising, any kind of continuity. And and we, we, we just knew that's the way the TV industry works. It's going to be, we're on our own now. And, and let's just hope that we, we can, we can get the, the fans that did tune in to stay. And if along the way we can get a few new fans, then, then we're going to consider ourselves lucky. But, but uh, we, we knew in terms of advertising that that, that voice was going to get a lot quieter. And, we even before Paul Lee made that announcement, we had been saying that for a long time. But we felt like one, it should have gone between the hi, you know, in the hiatus would have been great, or even Sunday night. Um, 
we were kind of surprised that, um, that, just for example, that Thursday night slot for ABC, I only recently read this, but the four or five shows that had that slot before Wonderland were all canceled, like, in the middle of their first season. They didn't, a lot of them didn't even get to the end. So that's a hard, hard time slot right there. Well, and, and, I, and I've, got, I've got worse news for you. All those shows that got canceled a year ago for low ratings did better than we did in that time slot. Wow, and that's up against the Big Bang Theory is a really hard place to be. But given that Paul Lee acknowledged that, I, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't continue on and keep with that idea, maybe even if it wasn't this next season, that perhaps, you know, that later on down the road it would go in the hiatus. It's it's tough. There's so many decisions and so many ways they look at it. I mean, um, and, and, and I think you might see some changes because two things are happening. You know, a network wants people to show up on the night and watch the show in that moment, okay? Oh. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, they're also producing hours that are going to resell around the world. And once upon a time, is a hit all over the world. I mean, ABC is making money on that show hand over fist there that show is doing fine and of course they were hoping that this and then this one you know these 13 episodes it'll resell into you know south america and all over europe and the, the alice in wonderland is a potent title all over the world and the, no one's going to lose money on this show and abc isn't ashamed of the show they think it turned out really great they're really sad people didn't come to the party um, as sad as you are and as sad as we are, they liked the show. It was not an embarrassment for them on any level. And they like Adam and Eddie, and, and it was a vote of confidence in them. And they, you know, they, they sort of acknowledged that there were many factors that led to this show not being the level of hit they had hoped for. But they still have Once Upon a Time, and they're, you know, they're happy with it. So, so you know, the, any network has to decide, do we continue producing hours of this show? Right. And to eventually resell into syndication and all that stuff, or do we, or do we pull our money off this table and put it into development and maybe next fall uh, debut some shows that that do have staying power and that will lead to a hundred episodes. And they have to make those decisions every day. I was going to say, to no. credit the fact that you know, I think that what you just said about the other shows that were in that time slot doing better than what Wonderland did. ABC still let Wonderland play out to the end because I've seen in the past where, you know, if a television show doesn't do as well, you know, they'll pull it immediately even if there are more episodes that could still be aired. So I do think that it's actually a credit to what you're saying and to ABC for the fact that they let the entire run play out because I would have been really sad if we had not been able to do that. Richard, I hate to do this, but the podcast has like two minutes left, so we have to cut this short. But if you're willing to come join us another time, we would love to have you back on to keep talking about Wonderland and, you know, the whole process and everything. I would love to, and I'd, you know, we can we can talk more about yeah. Once you've seen the conclusion, and then um, and then uh, whatever uh, I'm working on a new show now, but uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll talk about that on my next visit. I would love to come back. You guys, yeah. I'm, I'm huge fans. Which is of East End. Absolutely, that's that's great. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, we're gonna. That show is gonna premiere in June. So maybe, maybe a little closer to that, we'll do more Wonderland and we'll talk about uh, witches. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. <laughs> thank you so great. much for joining us. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much, and we will talk again and have a fun time on your birthday on Thursday. Thank you. All right. All right talk to you guys later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
So for those of you who are listening to the podcast, that was Richard Hodden. He's a uh, consulting producer for Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and he just joined us for an hour, and that was way beyond what we were expecting. So Richard, again, thank you so much for taking the time out to do that. That was a great conversation, a lot of really interesting We've only got 10 seconds left, you guys, so I'm sorry to wrap this up, but we got to. Good night. Night.